Hello Beyond Words family and welcome back to Beyond Words with Felix and Al. This is Felix and I'll be taking over the introductions for a period of time. Uh, we may switch back and forth every now and again, Al and I, but uh, today it's me. So in this episode of Beyond Words with Felix and Al, we have Marta Wanderlust, uh, our first guest ever here on the podcast talking about her new book, which is out, called Miracles from the Abyss, A Hero's Journey of Healing and Awakening Through Yoga, Plant Medicine, and the Teachings of the Soul. And in this episode, we, we interview Marta a little bit about her process in writing, um, more in depth about this journey that she undertook in writing her story and sharing her story with the world. Uh, her book is currently for sale on Amazon. Uh, just look for Marta Wanderlust, uh, Miracles from the Abyss, and you will find her book. Uh, I highly recommend it. I have had a couple people reach out to me personally uh, after reading her book, who know Al, and just they kept telling me, you know, it's it's a real page turner. After that, we go back into our podcast, uh, just with Felix. Al and myself, and we talk a bit about an archaic revival or more going back to the roots, uh, the roots of nature, the roots of life, uh, reconnecting to nature, essentially, um, better diets, uh, better practices throughout the day, um, truly just, just an adventure into revisiting what our ancestors knew and how they thrived here on this earth. So that was our, our dive and, and much more. There's little, you know, we always throw little nuggets in there and, and little hoo-hahs. So I really hope you enjoy this podcast with our first guest ever. Uh, I know I surely did. And uh, yeah, if you are not subscribed to us, um, please pause this recording now. Go on whatever platform you're listening to this on and give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating if you'd like. Uh, and also, please check out our Locals page uh, where it's really a community we're trying to create online uh, with everyone here. And also, for those of you who are already subscribed to our Locals page, please reach out at any time. Uh, talk about things uh, or share topics you'd like us to discuss or ideas or um, fun facts. I don't know. Please just share with us there. Uh, we love to hear from our listeners. We love to hear from our subscribers. Uh, we're so grateful to all of you for, for your support. Um, thank you for all of your support. And here we go with this new episode of Beyond Words with Felix and Al and our first guest, Marta Wanderlust. Yay, and welcome back to Beyond Words with Felix and Al. It's Felix here, and Al's in a new home with his lovely wife. That's us, yep. Hi, everybody. Welcome back, and we're taking another stab at this. We actually just recorded uh, this episode, and then we realized we had audio problems the whole time, so 
<laughs> so we're just going to naturally do this again. And uh, we have very special guests, our very first guest on the podcast, Felix. Uh, and so you want to introduce Marta, Felix, since, yeah, you can in- do the intro and then we'll welcome Marta. Absolutely. Yeah. Marta Wanderlust Bannock, the That's third, because there's now three. There's, see, that was, that was a funny play on words there for you, Al. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just recently released a, an incredible book, Miracles from the Abyss, uh, A Hero's Journey. And it's just, um, it's a very small portion of these incredible accomplishments you've done, these offerings online. Uh, in person that I've seen you do here, uh, a part of your plant medicine journey, your journey through healing. And it's truly, it's an inspirational book. And again, I, I just want to go back into that title because I really love that title, Marta. So what what's Miracles from the Abyss? Mm. So hi, everyone. <laughs> and thank you for having me. I'm honored to be your first guest. That's very exciting. Um, yes, Miracles from the Abyss. I guess along the journey um, that I have thus far been on, I have encountered spaces that felt empty and hollow and dark and exhausting, that felt like the abyss. And part of my growth and evolution, call it awakening or healing or just integration of life's experiences, has been discovering hope in those very places, finding an emergency exit, finding a way out. And some of these situations have been so incredibly profound and it felt as if something was reaching for me in the moments when I felt that there was really no way out. And so for me, the word miracles, the word miracles felt just really true to how these experiences came about. Um, And the title I hope carries the message that yes, there is an emergency exit, even in the darkest of hells. If, if we only believe that there is one. Mm. So that's think, beautiful. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's something we definitely dive into a lot within this podcast. We go into these places where it, it can feel mentally, emotionally, some, even physically like an abyss. And just your title kind of sheds a light on the possibility of miracles, this possibility of uh, reemerging from that place. Uh, another thing we dive into is that, that, idea of Joseph Campbell's A Hero's Journey, you know, these, these journey of cycles, these challenges, these, you know, dragons, so to speak, that we have to slay. And, you know, I'm curious where that subtext uh, really plays into your book. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share the subtitle again in full? Um, so my book is titled Miracles from the Abyss, A Hero's Journey of Healing and Awakening Through Yoga, Plant Medicine, and the Teachings of the Soul. Yes. And yes, Joseph Campbell, I think I I do remember the moment when I picked up his book and read about this template for human life and human existence and how incredibly enlightening that felt that there is this structure that we can use to see our own lives unfoldings and that by seeing what has happened and what we're walking towards as a journey, we are also seeing purpose in everything, that it all happened for a reason. And I personally really resonated with, you know, setting out into the big world. It's kind of wild out there. You get into the crazy forest. There are some beasts, some monsters, some dragons. 
some benevolent beings that are willing to teach you and share some magical objects. And eventually as you grow and as you learn, you step into who you really are. And so you do come home victorious and able to share the learnings and the gifts of this hero's journey. And I think for anyone um, who has threaded the path or knows this journey from darkness to light, for me, that's, yeah, just a reflection of a hero's journey um, of emerging victorious, no matter what we have encountered. One a theme we often talk about on this show is like viewing the understanding that life is a teacher. And I think that plays along into the hero's journey mm. uh, mythology. And in my own journey, it's, I suffer much less when I recognize that everything that's happened in my life that's been difficult was actually a blessing and that it was a teaching and it was there to teach me. And when I forget that is when I suffer because then there's no purpose, there's no meaning to those really, really difficult, dark experiences that I've had. And, you know, firstly, I'm just curious because in your book, uh, you know, the, the, the chapter titles are, instead of teachings, you call it medicine, right? The medicine mm -hmm. of my father and the medicine of uh, love. And um, so like life as medicine, and I'm, I'm curious where, uh, was there a point where that, that understanding came to you and where your perception of your past and your struggle and the addiction and the trauma in your life when you're, when you're, you, you started to see it through this different lens be by being grateful for those experiences. Mm -hmm. I think with the capacity to see everything and everyone as a teacher for me, my yoga life journey path is a huge part um, of that approach because I, I just feel as a spiritual path or as a discipline there is that relationship of a guru and a disciple. And so we do submit to the wisdom and to the guidance of someone else, which I think for a lot of people already brings so much healing to step down from like a superiority pedestal of self-importance self and just listen and be teachable. And so I, I thank my yoga education and training and just experiences and growth for that approach. Um, and I think with medicine, maybe that language came for me when I started working with plant medicines. And I recognized that these voiceless teachers often have so much more to say and to teach than, you know, the therapists that I used to pay huge amounts of money when I lived in London or people that I could look up to and say they're an authority. And through stepping down from a very human kind of pyramid pedestal of, again, self-importance, I noticed that, yes, there are teachers in everything, but there's also medicine in everything. And what the plant medicines have made me aware of is that everything that has happened in the past and everything that might happen in the future is there for a reason. And it's all really conspiring to essentially my growth, my evolution, my soul's journey of awakening. And so I like to use the language of medicine and I have titled each part of my book, the medicine of circumstances, the medicine of my mother, my father, spirit, love, because I found in all of these different facets of my journey and medicinal qualities. And sometimes that means that the medicine is really bitter and that it 
you know, takes a lot to swallow and that it maybe heals first by bringing to the surface all the disease that's underneath the skin. But sometimes the medicine has been incredibly nourishing and softening and relaxing. And if we can open to the possibility that life in itself is a medicine and that within life, there is a medicine for everything that we need, then every encounter starts to have a meaning. Every conversation starts to have a meaning. Every person annoying or incredible starts to have, have an impact and be impactful for us. Um, and it's all happening for us. And I think that's the most powerful spiritual teaching I have ever received. Life is happening for you, not to you, not because of you, <laughs> not against you, for you. If like, if, so everything that happens in life and life is medicine, like medicine is generally prescribed to heal something. So what is the medicine of life? What is, what is it healing? What is it bringing us to? I can only answer that from the lens of my personal spiritual beliefs and the paradigm that I operate in. <laughs> so this may not resonate for everyone, but for me, it's the medicine to heal the illusion of disconnect and separateness from life. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I think that that is a part of human condition that we're born, we're innocent, we're beautiful, loving, our eyes are wide open and then life happens and we get conditioned bit by bit, year by year to forget that and to feel more separate, to feel more isolated, to feel that we need validation, to be loved, to look for ways to fulfill that. And the gifts and the boons of the spiritual journey is that eventually we arrive at a place where we recognize, oh, I am already whole and connected and perfect just as I am, not in a grandiose way, but just an authentic sense of thriving. And perhaps the medicine that life hides in different places, pieces, animals, plants, humans, experiences is to guide us to that recognition, that remembering, you know, and it's not always a pleasant medicine, but it does work. <laughs> it can taste bitter. It can taste bitter. <laughs> Bittersweet medicine. Right. <laughs> so, so it's interesting because within this, you know, adventure you have undertaken of writing down the story, uh, I'm sure places that were, you know, that, that very bitter medicine. And I'm curious to hear more about what that journey was like revisiting these memories, the, um, and then writing about them, being so open about them. Uh, what, what was that journey for you? And how does that kind of reflect in a microcosm, this larger experience of your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. when I sat down to start writing this book, I made a promise to myself that I will be as authentic as I can be because I felt that that's the only way this book will be useful to anyone if I can really own it. And so it felt very vulnerable and very tender. And at the same time, it has been such an incredibly healing process because I have unpacked and dissected so many of my life experiences by now through you know a decade of inner work. And yet it was the process of really pouring out my soul's contents that helped me see everything in a new light. And in turn, it was almost as if the permission for myself to go inward so deeply has started to open new drawers in my mind. And I was suddenly re-remembering aspects of my story that somehow just haven't come up <laughs> and they made so much sense. So the outcome for me personally has 
been almost as if I have actually written this for me. Like this was an initial stage of emptying out. And I actually um, think it's really beautiful symbolically that our daughter is coming soon and I'm empty of the past. You know, it's, it's been kind of symbolically not purged out, but purged out through words. Mm. And it feels like there is this new space for a new life. Um, and yes, I just feel one of the things that I really encourage people to do, whether, you know, working with them one-on-one or when I have had retreats is to engage in written self-inquiry, because I feel that when we really put pen to paper, you know, laptop and hands, there is something that opens up when we're in that flow of outpouring. And for me, that's always a, a certain flavor and quality of insight that I don't necessarily get in conversation or even in meditation. So it's been, yeah, incredibly beautiful and also painful and also uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I'll witness me grind my teeth through some parts. I was just like, oh, I don't really want to write about it. It's terrible. <laughs> so many people, including myself, will make statements like, I need to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I got a book. I need to write a book. Uh, but so few of us actually do it. Uh, do you have any... I don't know, words of wisdom, like, I mean, of all the people I know, I think you're the person who, if you say you're going to do something, it's pretty much a hundred percent guaranteed you're going to do it. Hmm. But what, yeah. What would you say to someone who feels like they have a book and they just haven't done it for whatever reason? Like, mm-hmm. how, how do you, how do you, persevere because I saw you go through this process and you just really sat down and wrote for six months and nine months mm-hmm. nine months mm-hmm. yeah so yeah so what would you say to someone like that or even to yourself nine months ago and if you were struggling to even want to write about it or be able to find the time oh my gosh do you have any <laughs> you mean you don't have that's, to. A, that's a tricky question I just really wanted to do it. And I, all my life, I have spoken about, all my life, I'm 35 coming into 36. I have spoken about, oh, one day I'm going to write a book. One day I'm going to write a book. It has taken me, let's say, since I started to learn how to write 30 years (laughs) to actually sit down and do it. And I was just so full of stories that I could tell by that point that it felt like the right timing and actually for me it was the pandemic and the fact that we were in Peru there was like military on the streets with guns there was nothing to do nowhere to go and I kind of felt like well might as well write that book I've been talking about all of my life you know so I think like with anything I think when we really want some that's again that's me and my personal makeup but when we really want something like no one's stopping you from reaching for it but yourself but yourself exactly and so I have learned that when I really want something I can make it happen but it's up to me to show up and so my personal approach in life is to keep showing up because I know that at the end of the journey no matter how hard I will be grateful that I have done it like now seeing this book and receiving the most incredible feedback from people you know Mm. Mm -hmm. the feedback that I've heard is that people can't put it down and so it's like uh it's a gripping story and it also contains a lot of medicine and teachings Mm -hmm. and i'm just curious if you have one intention for the reader Mm -hmm. for the people who read your book what is that intention Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know i think in in the part that's owned in the most raw and authentic way i wanted to 
just let everyone know that no matter what types of experiences that we go through, we're never alone, even though it may feel like that at the time. And so I cover the themes of childhood trauma and I cover the themes of physical abuse and I cover the themes of addiction, which have all been part of my growing up experiences. Um, and so for, for that part of my book, my intention is to say, hey, I know these places and I have been there and many of us have, and it's okay. It's okay if that happened or if it, it's okay if that's where you're at right now and you have a choice. Because I think from kind of a neuroscientific trauma theory perspective, what keeps us in the loop of reliving our trauma is that belief that we don't ever have a choice because that's what trauma teaches us. You don't have a choice. This thing happens to you. And so to give ourselves a choice to recognize, okay, these things happened. And yes, I have a story to tell, but I'm not that story and I can choose differently. That's a really powerful reflection. And so the kind of second half of my book, if we can call it that, but it's not really structured in that way, is my journey of giving myself a choice and encountering medicine in my spiritual practices and my life lived in India in plant medicines and our marriage and our love and, and relationships. Um, so that also I want to reflect that Yes, medicine can be a cup of ayahuasca drunk in the middle of the Amazon jungle, but it doesn't have to be just that. And I think life has equipped us with tools and practices that are often available for free, that are all there for us to harness and utilize to make this hero's journey from forget to remember, no matter where we're coming from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. It, you know, a very big part of our world's issues is addiction. Uh, I've lost friends to addiction. Um, I know many people who have lost friends to addiction. And the journey that you've taken from, you know, addiction into this incredible place of medicine uh, is such a powerful journey and a powerful symbol and a thing that people do need to hear in these times. And, you know, I'm more curious to hear what that journey, how that journey started. I mean, how do people break through that initial first step of stepping away from addiction? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and maybe a good way to answer that question is just to talk about addiction itself, you know, because I, I really feel, and that at least feels true for me, that addiction is my attempt at not feeling something that's really present. And for me, that was a huge backlog of shame and pain and fear and anger. And eventually, like the threshold of these big emotions was so all encompassing and I didn't have resources or tools or support to guide me through it that I started to find ways to escape it and not to feel too numb. And so I can recognize those traits of addictive behaviors really young, like pre-puberty already trying not to feel. And for me, the trajectory of this journey has been that eventually that turned into cocaine addiction. And that was my way of not feeling. And that drug within itself came with a certain grandiosity and deep disconnect and like a real darkening of every facet of my being. And I think that we all have a different rock bottom or that edge at which we're willing to surrender. And for me, it took a death of a friend who had a lethal overdose at 28 years old. And I was at the time few years younger than him, but we were talking that night and talking, essentially glorifying our addiction, both like, oh yeah, we just love this drug and texting about it. 
And the craziest thing that night was that I was in my apartment and I was just using by myself. That's what I was doing at that time in my life. I would just use, I would buy drugs. I wouldn't even go anywhere. I would just sit in my house and use. And he texted me and said, hey, do you want to come over? And by the time we were already like texting for two hours about how much we love cocaine, you know? And I said, no, I'm too high. I cannot be bothered. And I remember I put my phone down and I had this, maybe 20 minutes later, the sense of dread of like, oh my God, I need to go and see him. And I texted him and said, okay, let me know your address. I'll get a taxi. And he never responded. And next day I found out that, yeah, he was found dead in his apartment. And there's, I don't know, but there's a big possibility that it happened around the time when we have been texting. And so his death, so tragic at such a young age, felt like a huge wake-up call of, wow, this could happen to you. If you don't stop, you are going to die. But it also led me to recognize I actually couldn't stop. I wasn't able to stop using drugs just like that. And I guess I needed to get to that place to surrender. And so for me to stop was to really literally lose everything. My relationships were severed by that point. You know, I wasn't working. I was hanging out with all sorts of really dodgy people, (laughs) you know, essentially just finding ways to buy drugs, use drugs, surround myself with drugs, 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 people who use drugs. And I think at that point, my soul was so deeply just, oh, aching and bleeding, you know, that that fear of what's going to happen if I surrender started to get smaller and smaller. And the pain of staying who I was got so huge that I had to let go. There's uh, a quote from... I think it's Aldous Huxley. And it was something like uh, drugs and addiction are simply a misguided pursuit of God. Mm. And I'm curious, um, because a lot of people, they'll quit using a drug. You know, I've seen this, but that addiction energy remains and maybe it just shifts to something else. Mm. So great, they'll get off cocaine and then maybe it shifts to coffee and cigarettes or you know, all all types of ways for the addiction to manifest. And I'm curious, A, if that happened for you or if you would consider that, do you think that that energy goes away or were you simply able to direct it towards spirit or towards your pursuit through yoga, through uh, just like, yeah, to redirect it? So Mm -hmm. did you eliminate that energy that of addiction or did you direct it to to fill that void with something else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel that just recognizing that all addicts are deeply spiritual people who are just looking for God in all the wrong places is like an amazing starting point because I, I feel trauma just deprives us of sense of wholeness and connection with life. And so we often... We might not have this language. We might not recognize, I don't feel whole or I feel disconnected or I feel lost. There is just this urge to fix, to feel whole, to feel full, to feel somehow more empowered or more in your body. Um, But essentially, for me, the journey of integrating trauma is a return to the recognition that I already am whole and connected and perfect just as I am. And so, yes, I can see how there is like a transference of addictive behavior from one type to the other. If we have just addressed the symptom, which might be that I'm snorting cocaine, that's the symptom of me feeling disconnected from myself and from life, feeling shame or blame or guilt or anger, whatever is there. 
But if I can ask myself while approaching my addiction, what am I trying not to feel? Or what is it there that I'm numbing or escaping from? Then I can recognize what's really at the root of my behavior. And for me, when I got clean, the addiction behavior transferred onto food. And I had a crazy sugar addiction for about maybe three months to the point that I would eat so many sweets and just so much sugar um, that I started to get high from it, you know, and in a body that had no stimulants, no coffee, no nothing. I was suddenly just smashing packets of whatever. And one night I just had this out of body experience where I recognized that I'm, I'm gonna kill myself the same way, if not quicker than I would have with cocaine. And that this too is the same thing that I'm perpetuating. I don't want to feel the discomfort. And so I surrendered to that. I, I essentially just prayed. And this, this was a, a moment of a miracle uh, in the abyss because I literally got down on my knees and I remember crying and just begging someone something. At that time, I didn't really understood what God was. I didn't have a concept, but I just remember begging God, like, please help me. I really need help. I'm trying to not feel these things that clearly I need to feel in order to move on in my journey. And, you know, now that there's like a decade later, most of the day I feel whole and connected and happy, or if I'm not having a happy day, I still feel okay about whatever arises, but there are still moments when I'm in so much discomfort that I feel like, ah, I want to eat cake or, you know, I want to do something. And the only difference is that now I'm like, if I do it, then I'll have a square of chocolate, not a whole bar, but it's still that, you know, kind of an impulse of mm -hmm. there is something that I don't like. Let me distract myself with something much more pleasant. Instagram, square of chocolate, Netflix. Yeah. I feel like we're all doing that <laughs> to some extent. Right. right? It's the, it's the journey of humanity in some yeah. ways, but I think some people, it manifests more extremely mm -hmm. in terms of a distraction from the discomfort of life. So it's like mm -hmm. life, life provides the reason for the medicine. The life provides a need for medicine and life provides the medicine itself. Mm -hmm. And it's the nature of duality. I don't know that life ever gets unicorns, fluffy kittens and, you know, honey dripping from the sky. I think life will wow. always have painful experiences. That's just the nature of, of what we're here to experience, to experience essentially. And I feel that these traits perhaps will always be there. Perhaps my nervous system has lived through so many years of discharging by fixating on something else that that will always be like a first impulse and it's up to me to give myself a choice so again that empowerment that comes from choice today i can recognize okay i'm really feeling upset instead of going out and eating cake why don't i sit and breathe why don't i drink cacao why don't i do my practice and by equipping myself with tools and by finding self-resourcing ways of addressing these attempts at not feeling I can really be with whatever arises. And I feel like that's the ultimate, not goal, because there isn't really a goal, but that nugget of gold of a spiritual journey to be willing to sit and be with the beauty, which is plenty of, and 
the not so beauty, <laughs> not so beauty beauty. <laughs> hmm. Beautiful. <clears throat> and I know that you know a huge, you know, since the thing out this book. Um, what, what is your intention with this ceremony of this book or this medicine of this book or this, you know, this practice that you've placed out into the world? And how do you see the seed of this book evolving? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love for it to reach the people to whom it can really carry a message of hope. Um, what I found the most impactful in my own journey was meeting other people and hearing other people's stories that, again, have made me recognize I'm not alone in my experience. So thus far, it sounds from the feedback that I'm receiving that the people who can potentially really be impacted by it have been guided to it or, you know, have found their way to it. And I'm hoping that the book just keeps spreading and rippling through different communities and different pathways, you know, to reach as many people who might be interested in, in themes like, yes, addiction and yes, trauma and Yes, also yoga and spiritual practice or plant medicine, but also just exploring our relationship with ourselves. Um, a huge part of my book is me going into my relationship with my father and with my mother. And no matter what our family constellations look like, we each had these two people. Well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people have grown up with, without, but in some form impacted by how our parents showed up for our upbringing which in turn informs how we show up for everything in life. Um, so it's not just a book that talks about, you know, yay, Amazon jungle. <laughs> yes, that too. And I think the relatability is, is in a similarity of a lot of the experiences that we stumble upon. Mm -hmm. Amazing. How can people find your book? My book is available on Amazon right now as a paperback or as a ebook Kindle edition. And yeah, you can just go on any Amazon in any country in the world and Google, well, Amazon type search mm -hmm. <laughs> miracles from the abyss. And that's how you can get it. We'll put the link in the notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on the social media platforms, everyone yeah. will have a, a, the ability to see those. So. Sweet. Yeah. Amazing. Do you have any more questions, Felix? <laughs> wow, it's, it's a lot to digest. I mean, I feel like this whole, even just the, the answers that you provided were a journey into the abyss and then back out through miracles. So <laughs> uh, through, through all the comments that I've heard um, from listeners who are reading the book, they just, they say they can't put it down. It's just mm -hmm. absolutely perfect. So um, yeah, I definitely recommend our listeners check it out. Yeah, it's definitely not for the faint hearted. <laughs> But I think anyone who's willing to be reflected, I guess, in some ways, I, I think it can be really um, resonant. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's an unputdownable story that happens to contain a lot of wisdom and medicine. So mm. it's also useful. <laughs> so I think, yeah. And there, is all, there are also practices in the book, mm -hmm. like self-inquiry practices and writing exercises. So um, it's a little bit of everything. So you can both entertain yourself by reading it and uh, <laughs> give yourself a dose of Marta's medicine. So mm -hmm. thank you. Thanks for coming on our show. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, it's been a pleasure <laughs> to be on this side of your 
of your show, not as a listener, but as a speaker. So yay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Hi, everyone. <laughs> yeah. And soon there will be three. There's two right now on the camera and soon there'll be three. That's yeah. right. I'll have her as a guest, uh, maybe in like 10 years. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to keep her off the public spotlight for now. <laughs> yeah. Grant her her privacy <laughs> until she can decide. Whether she wants to use social media or not. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. She'll be a celebrity baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I decided not to go down that route. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Well, thanks. Thank you. Bye. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Martha. <laughs> Bye. All right. Got another little bit. We want to, there's a few things I could chat about here. I'm just going to switch over to my headphones and I'll go, I'm going to go in there. Yeah. Um, one sec, Felix. One sec, yeah, everybody. Bear with us here. We're adjusting the studio, so you gotta, you know, moving from one studio to the next studio. That's right. All right. So how's uh how's Waran? How's Peru? Well, beautiful as always. I mean, we're currently still in the middle of rainy season, which doesn't want to let go. Thank goodness. You know, uh, the dry season here can be a bit dry. <laughs> it's definitely still staying green. Thank goodness. But uh, yeah, it's another couple months of, before it gets dry, right? I really hope it stays longer. I, I think, yeah. like, you know, a lot of people who are coming down to Peru, they're like, oh, you know, which, which season is there a dry season? Which one's a wet season? And how can I avoid the wet season? I'm like, actually, you really want to be in the mountains in the rainy season just because of yeah. how lush and green things are to see the potential. And it's not raining all the time, like in the jungle, right? It's like it rains like 10 minutes and, or, you know, an hour at the most and then it's over and then you have yeah. beautiful blue skies yeah it's a really beautiful time there it's my favorite time like right about now in, into april and all when all, all the flowers and yeah it's amazing well i guess it's yeah it's fall there technically so but uh yeah 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 but yeah it's a beautiful time it's hard to yeah. tell like what the season is like it's so funny People i know are like oh it's we're going into spring or it's always summer. I don't know. I can't. There's it. two seasons there. There's dry season and wet season, and the temperature doesn't <laughs> change that much between them. Not, Here, not I'm getting a dose of seasons again in Berlin. It's like there's definitely winter. Now we're definitely transitioning into spring. Like it's very, and then the summer it's hot, hot as hell. So it's very obvious. <laughs> and, and you've just moved into a new house out in the countryside, so you're no longer in the city. Well, we're in the city. We're like on the edge oh. of the city. So it's our address is still Berlin, but Berlin's like a very, it's a very green city and it's very spread out. So, um, and so we're kind of like on the outer ring and we're next to a forest and, you know, we have a ground floor place and outside of our window is just the forest, you know, so it's really nice. Um, you know, something I noticed because we spent about our first four months here living in an apartment, like at the fourth floor. And yeah, I noticed like being on the ground feels much better to me than being elevated up in an apartment, like, and being able to wake up and just walk barefoot out into the grass is just such a gift. Like, you know, I, that's how it was. And when we lived in Peru, you know, it was just like, 
being able to walk around barefoot in the grass every day and just really feel it and connect with trees and plants. And that was really missing uh, kind of over these first months here. So, so yeah, that's the nice thing about being where we are now is that we have this city. We're like a two minute walk to the subway train that takes us to everything we need. And we're in the forest. Like today, we just took a walk five minutes from our house or in the middle of a pine forest and you would have no idea there's a city nearby. So it's really, yeah, it's a pretty special spot. It's like the perfect place. It's exactly what we were looking for. Uh, so yeah, really grateful to have found this for, for my sanity. And it's a good place to have our baby and our cats are joining us from Peru. So the whole family is going to be here in this little, little garden. <laughs> Have you noticed this uh, shift energetically or, or mentally, emotionally from where you were yeah. there, more in the inner city into where you are now? Totally. I mean, sometimes I don't know what's what, but I like I'm sleeping much better here. Um, I just feel much more connected to the elements, to the earth, to the trees, to nature. You know, when you wake up in the middle of a city on the fourth floor of a building and you look out the window and you just see other buildings uh, I think some people thrive and are fine for that. But for me, it's, uh, it's just like, I just lose touch. I lose connection with something that feels really good to me, which is plants and trees and grass and fresh air. So yeah, I used to love living in the city. I was a city guy, but now I'm totally have shifted. So I think long-term, you know, we want to like have a home, like, truly in nature, like out far from a city. Um, but for right now, it's, it's a nice, happy medium uh, for the next year or two. So uh, yeah, so I totally notice a difference, man. I think after living in Peru for all those years and what on, like I just lost my taste for cities totally. <laughs> and it hasn't yeah, absolutely. really come back. Yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I was born and raised in the country and <clears throat> I remember I think it was when my, my mother remarried, we had to move and live in a city for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And just, I never could put my finger on exactly what it was I felt really uncomfortable with, but I just always felt uncomfortable, just slightly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, and I now can equate it more to, to that because like, I, I guess being an adult and being in the medicine world, uh, when I last traveled to the US, we, we stayed a night in San Francisco city and just, it was impossible to sleep. For me. It was impossible. Mm -hmm. There was so much uh, buzz. noise, buzz. Yeah, exactly. This buzz, this energetic buzz. And it's interesting. It makes me think of like, you know, there's this existential illness that's kind of plaguing humanity and we keep thinking, Oh, you know, it's me, it's me, or maybe it's your environment. Maybe it's the place you are. Maybe it's the people you surround yourself with. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. general. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors there. I mean, one thing I've learned from all the moving around and travel is that ultimately it is me. I mean, it's like, you know, wherever you go, there you are. But, the, but I've also learned where I'm, where I feel healthiest. And I think, you know, if I didn't, if I was locked in a, in the city and that's where I had to live, then I would, I'd find a way, but it's just harder for me. I just feel so much better with trees and green. Like I'm looking out the window right now and it's just like, it's really pleasant to look out there, you know, and there's birds and trees and 
but totally, man. I think the environment's really important. I think that uh, it's something that collectively a lot of us have lost touch with is the importance of the environment uh, that we choose to live in. Um, just the importance, not just the environment outside of our house, but even within the home. It's like when we moved into this apartment, you know, the, 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 the guy who owns it, who's renting it to us, left a lot of stuff in here and he said, we can use it. And one of the things he left was this big TV, like a big flat screen TV. And I haven't had a TV in a long time, but my first thought was like, um, you know, let's, Hey, we can just keep it and keep it in the living room and we'll, we'll just put it like a tapestry over it when we're not using it, but it'll be nice to just like stream Netflix and just like watch a movie once in a while. And Marta didn't really say anything. She's like, all right. Uh, but I think she was waiting for me to have a realization, which came like a day later. It's like, wait a minute. We don't want this big, big giant TV in this living room. Like it's not very big. And it just, there's a certain vibe that comes with it. And I feel like if we have a TV in the living room, we're going to end up watching it. And in this last apartment we have, there was a TV and it's great once in a while to watch a movie. Don't get me wrong, but kind of getting into a habit of every night. That's kind of the last thing you do is just like watch a big screen TV. Um, you know, there's just something that that doesn't work for me anymore. And it's not particularly healthy for the brain to be exposed to that screen as the last thing before night, it throws off the like circadian sleep rhythms. And so we, I took the TV, man, I put it in the cellar, got it rid of it. And in place of the TV uh, on this like piece of furniture where the TV was this giant TV, we just turned it into a garden. We have all these house plants <laughs> sitting there and it's just like the vibe is so much nicer. Um, and yeah. And then at night I just read, there's no TV. And, you know, if we want to watch something on a laptop, we can, but um, yeah, man, that just brings me to, you know, I've been reading this book lately. Um, uh, shit, I'm just forgetting the title right now, um, <laughs> but it's about like, I'm going to just look it up. It's about like the paleo lifestyle. Um, it's um, yeah, here it is. So the book is called uh, the primal blueprint um, by Mark Sisson, S I S S O N. And he's like a big, like um, kind of paleo guy, but not just diet, but just the whole lifestyle. Have you heard of like paleo diet and paleo this and that? Yeah, absolutely. This book's really interesting because I found it at a time where I was really feeling unfulfilled in the city, you know, and just like unhealthy. And, you know, one of the things he does in the book is he lays out like a standard day of hunter gatherers, maybe from, I don't know, 30,000 years ago. Uh, versus a standard day of an, a modern American family. And when I was reading the hunter gatherers, I was like, man, that why, like that, that's the life. Like, why did we collectively as human beings, like have to bring in all this technology and like complicate everything. The hunter gatherer life, while it could be quite brutal, at least from, the understanding of this book and just like, you know, people who have, you know, studied anthropology and whatnot, it was a pretty sweet life as far as I'm concerned. It was just like one long camping trip, uh, like, you know, wake up with the dawn at dawn when the sun rises, 
wake up slowly to the rhythm of, of the day, find some berries and some leaves, eat them. Then do you decide to go hunting and you go with your family and uh, along the way you go for a swim in the nice cold river and then you take a nap and then you hunt and then you make a fire and you sit around the fire at night and chat and eat your food. And once in a while you have to run away from a like a grizzly bear, but you know, hopefully you get away. And basically, you know, one thing he pointed out is that it's in all likelihood, actually hunter gatherers from 30,000 years ago, despite all of our medical technology advancements, they were much healthier. The reason their life expectancy was so much shorter is because they often died tragically, you know, like getting eaten by a bear um, or an infection, you know, but, but if they managed to avoid accidents, they actually lived, you know, quite well into old age in a quite healthy and agile body. So, so anyway, that book just got me to thinking. It gets into the diet too, basically. You know, how did they eat in that time? Well, they didn't eat fucking processed food. They didn't eat, uh, they didn't eat Doritos. They didn't eat a bunch of carbs. They didn't eat uh, grains, and they didn't eat rice, and they didn't eat Snickers bars and all this stuff. So, um, and they didn't take medication for everything. You know, it's just like very, very. So, so the diet is ba basically just eat plants and animals like obviously you want like organic animals and plants and that's it some berries here and there you know like it's very simple but uh anyway this is a long tangent to just say like i'm quite intrigued with that lifestyle and i just wonder like why at what point did we like why did we where did it go off track i feel like it went off track we're so unhealthy now uh and you know, as Marta talked about, it's like we have to go on these journeys of suffering to realize, you know, to realize healing. And I think a lot of the suffering comes from just our modern uh, lifestyle and the choices we make in technology and the distractions. And um, so, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> no, it's powerful. I mean, I, I remember reading this statement from this Native American elder and he was talking about when the settlers, the settlers were offering them all this, you know, stuff like, oh, we have, you know, alcohol, we have cotton, we can show you how to build houses, you know, we can build wagons for you. Da, 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 da. And this, this idea of like a modern society or a more evolved society. And this Native American elder, his response was, we live the greatest life anyone could have imagined. You know, we, we literally, we, you know, we wake up, we are in nature. Well, we get to have sex all day. We get to dance and then we go to sleep and our life is, our life thrives. There's no um, war, there's no jealousy or there's all these, you know, these little things that come from this wealth mentality that kind of bled into to Western society or this, the society of like a, a successful man. And this thing of, you know, the more success and which is equated in like, oh, I have a Ferrari and I have a, you know, that screen TV and I have, a, you know, a king size bed with blah, 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 blah. These things, they just create these divisions, these separations, you know, in this Native American culture, like it was a gift based culture. There was no money. And so everybody always had exactly what they needed. There was never a lack anywhere. And that sense of lack that, that the settlers brought in, one, I need more land. 
I need more product. I need bigger houses. I need that, that created an illness, this like massive uh, gluttonous illness. And in the Buddhist tradition, they talk a lot about these, these. Uh, what about what? Sorry, you cut out. Uh, the realm of the hungry ghost. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I heard in you. the, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. In the, <laughs> In the realm of the hungry ghost, the you know they they have huge stomachs, and you know like eyes that are very big. So they really want to they want to consume so much, but can only fit little the littlest of bites within this thing. And thing that is another realm. Well, it is another realm. It is another layer or dimension of this reality. But within this dimension or within this reality, those people exist that thing that wants to eat those snicker bars which gives them that that high so to speak those exist and you know like marta shared that with addiction it's like that's a very very visceral uh in your face kind of imagery of a hungry ghost trying a certain uh chemical response within the body this and if, if you're, you know, if you're in balance, if you're following the ways of nature, you don't, you don't seek that. You're, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not needing that. Totally. And, you know, I, I don't hold any illusions that, you know, hunter gatherers or even, you know, indigenous tribes, like they didn't, life wasn't hard at times, you know, and they're, they're human. you know, I'm sure that there were dramas and jealousies at times and whatever and relationship issues. But, but I think in, in that context, it would have been really difficult to have existential crises, to have depression because, because you're living life, like totally, it's a very raw way of living is like, I mean, survival is and death and survival are, you're walking a very fine line every single day. You got to find food. Uh, you, you're very much intertwined with the elements, with nature. Um, you're eating directly from the earth. So it's just like this very uh, direct experience of the earth and life and death. And it's all right there and you're not detached from it. And I, I feel like at some point we evolved to avoid, kind of like what Marx talked about, to avoid these parts of life that like death <laughs> specifically uh, uh, out of fear. Um, but it's like, we're trying to avoid the thing that we can't avoid anyway. And by, and our process of trying to avoid it has created a total diversion and a distraction and a, from like, what's really important, um, which is connection, which is nature, which is just a present moment existence. We've re- created all these stories and uh, technologies and distractions that like leave people feeling really empty and like the hungry ghost, you know? And, um, so, I mean, <laughs> there's not much, I, uh, like, I, I don't think it's helpful for me to just sit, sit around and just be like, Oh, I wish we were still in caveman times, you know, like that's not helpful. You know, it really is about, you know, finding a harmony in this life and in this world as it is now, um, but taking, I think, really important key lessons from the way that, you know, people lived or some people still live to this day 
in terms of how they're connected with nature, to plants, to animals, to the sky, to the stars, to the sun, to water. Um, because those, when I'm truly connected to them, bring me far more joy than a Netflix show. And they don't leave, leave me feeling empty. And if I spend my day with those things, I sleep well at night, um, as opposed to the grind and hustle and bustle of a city and a job and all that shit. So, um, uh, so yeah, I think it's about creating a life that that incorporates all these elements while still being a functional in a modern society. I'm not trying to run away to a cave and hide out. You know, I just want to, we want to get back to what's important though. <laughs> well, what, what is the phrase? Your, your comfort, your comfort zone will kill you. <laughs> I've, yeah, I believe that uh, it does. I mean, it, it, that's exactly it. And it's, you know, have you noticed that when you put yourself in the most uncomfortable situations, those are the ones you remember. Those are, those are the meaningful moments of your life when you, um, when you face, face discomfort, when you face death, when you face, yeah, when you face the, the most important questions of life, that's when, that's when life has meaning. Uh, but if we spend our lives trying to be comfortable, then um, like, I don't, I don't reflect on my life and remember the moments where I was just sitting on the couch, eating chips, watching a movie. I was comfortable. I don't remember those moments, man. I remember, uh, I remember, you know, people dying. I remember initiations with plant medicine. I remember beautiful moments of love and um, just like falling in love. I remember uh, my grandmother at her deathbed. I remember, um, I remember my little brother as a toddler, just like crying when I went off to college. I remember, uh, graduating from college and like coming together with all my friends and the celebration, like those are the things I remember. I don't remember, um, sitting in my house, smoking weed, uh, watching a movie, <laughs> <laughs> but though, but that's what I did to be comfortable. <laughs> So maybe that is a part of this whole paleo thing It's not necessarily a call to, you know, change your diet, you know, so to speak, uh, into raw meat and, and vegetables no. and whatnot, but it more of a, a call to, to life, like coming back to life, like being alive, getting out of your comfort zone. Cause that's, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you definitely pointed out how these, these cave people, they, you know, they were so close to life and death. They were so close to threats. They were close to, you know, the elements uh, in a way that, you know, a major rainstorm could mean the ending of their whole little village. <clears throat> and I think that that creates this element of like constantly being vigilant, constantly being aware. Yeah. And I agree. Like I think of uh, this hundred mile hike I did when I was, I think 15 or 16 through the Bob Marshall wilderness as a boy scout. And man, it was so hard, but I can remember pretty much every instance of that whole journey. That's why, you know, that little joke about 2020 flying by, I mean, that's why 2020 flew by. I didn't, I wasn't doing things mm -hmm. <laughs> other than, other than being lazy and waiting for this to blow over. And it, I wasn't living. It, totally, man. That's exactly it. I mean, if there was any medicine in 2020, it was like 
that sitting around and doing nothing is not helpful <laughs> to a healthy existence. And, and, you know, that Boy Scout trip you talked about, like, the, yeah, those, you know, I have those kinds of memories as well, just like challenges in nature. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I remember and that really holds meaning. So, yeah. The archaic revival. Yeah. And, you know, who knows, you know, the other interesting with this book is, is, you know, they talk about hunter gatherers from 30,000 years ago. Well, I believe it's possible that there were advanced civilizations, you know, uh, even before that. So who the hell knows, but you know, it could be, I, I actually don't know. Um, but nonetheless, just the idea of living a life connected with nature, eating food that is, you know, one step or two steps removed from nature rather than 10 steps through a processing plant in a factory in a truck in a boat in a plane taking it somewhere um, those just intuitively make a lot more sense in terms of a healthy body mind spirit you know so uh, well there's definitely a different connection with the food or the source of your nourishment i mean in the jungle we would kill our own chickens i mean which was like mm -hmm. the first opportunity i would say i had to do that i mean i did have a chicken farm back in maryland but you know i I didn't want to kill my chickens. They were more like pets. Uh, but there in the, in the jungle, it was such a natural thing for them to, you know, grab the chicken, kill the chicken and eat it. And there was that Western squeamish part of myself that was like, oh, there's, you know, I don't want to do that. And as soon as I did it, I realized how much more connected I am to the source of nourishment that I'm about to ingest and how much actually more gratitude uh the food tasted better like it i didn't feel bad for taking the life of this being i felt gratitude which was a very different thing of like going to the store and buying your little plastic bag of chicken you know little pink yeah. chicken and just think of the different energy that's in it like if if you killed the animal and you and you did it in a conscious way and you were grateful as you killed it and you know it's so different than going to the store and exactly buying meat that you don't know where that came from. And it, you know, sometimes I miss being ignorant about that because now I can't really eat that kind of meat. It's hard for me to eat that because I, I'm just aware of like where it likely came from. And, um, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's a really important step actually on a journey. I, I think that, I don't know. I, sometimes I wonder if in order to eat meat, you should be able to kill it yourself. You know what I mean? Just, you wouldn't have to kill every animal that you eat, but just some <laughs> point along the way to have the experience of killing an animal and eating it uh, really changes the relationship to that, you know, because before I did that, you know, uh, I, as a kid, you know, I, I didn't associate the chicken nuggets with a living animal. Chicken nuggets were just this thing that grew in the freezer at the grocery store, you know, or at McDonald's, like to, to really associate it with uh, an animal and then to know what that animal went through. That's uh, quite a thing. So uh, I'm all for eating animals uh, ethic, ethically, you know, just like not the factory ones. Well, so what, what are, what are some challenges we can give with each other and maybe the listeners as well as like, with this archaic revival idea, like how can we be more alive? Cause I think that's something, yeah, I really want, I want to live. 
I want to be more alive. And what are the things that maybe you and I can do and maybe the listeners can do to, to reinvigorate that? Doesn't mean necessarily living in a cave, but like mm. what are some small things we can do? I mean, small things that I'm trying to do now is just like, um, at not like at night, you know, pretty much once it gets dark, I stop staring at screens. You know, I don't, I really try to stay off the phone. There are times where I don't, but, um, I'm trying to do that now. And people have been telling me to do this for a long time, but I'm doing it. Something clicked for me in this book, you know, in terms of just like the circadian rhythms and how these screens affect us. So, um, I think disconnecting from the screen, uh, is a big one. Um, you know, I, I don't take, I try not to take hot showers. Sometimes I'll take like cool showers. They don't have to be ice cold, but that really makes me feel alive. And it's also, um, not just the health benefits, but there's something about that as well, that a hot, a long, hot shower kind of puts me to sleep. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, I don't know what else, what do you think feeling uh, walks in nature, like connecting with nature, uh, making that a, a point of that, no matter where you are in the world, even if you're in a city, go to the park, sit under a tree, like connect with it, breathe, feel the earth, feel the grass. Yeah, I think that's that's my my big one here. I mean, thank God in Wadan, it's pretty close. You know, there's a lot of beautiful nature that's just right around the corner. Um, I think that, yeah, the big goal for me is just being get outside, like literally just leaving my phone or whatever device here at the house, wherever it needs to be and just going outside, just being outside. Um, Yeah, I think the biggest portion is actually like setting down the electronics for a period of time, giving them a complete break, giving my mind a break from this constant stimulus. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think for us, like, you know, it's not as easy in different countries, but you know, here we have the opportunity to eat really clean and really healthy. Like I, I do eat a lot of protein. I do eat a lot of greens and fresh vegetables and uh, organic things where I do know where the sources uh, of these products are coming from, which is nice. Um, for the most part, I don't know all the sources, obviously, but for the most part, I can figure out where the sources are. Um, yeah, yeah. I think just getting outside, it's been the most healthiest thing I can do during this pandemic. And I remember at one point in the middle of 2020, there was a point where I was just so like, I actually felt sick every time I picked up the phone. It was just everything that was coming through this little device was making me feel ill. And the only thing I could do to make myself feel better was just leave it inside and go out. And that meant just wandering around out in nature, looking at flowers, you know, catching bugs. Like I was a kid again, you know, just being out in nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I think that's it. That's it. That's a huge first step. Uh, just really being conscious of the screens and the electronics. I think you can start there, everybody, if you're interested. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing, Felix. Well, uh, you know, you inspired me to, I'm going to have my own diet. Um, I think a couple episodes ago, we talked about diets and uh, mine starts in like, uh, let's see, yeah, in like three weeks, I'll be going into diet. So we'll Amazing. probably get another... Yeah, we'll get another couple episodes in before then, but but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a last opportunity, I think, before our baby comes. So, gonna take the chance and 
just have some solo time uh, without any screens for a week and uh, it should be good. Beautiful. Yeah. Excellent. That's exciting. Thanks for inspiring me. Yeah. Well, just a week, man. I'll be back (laughs) better than ever. I'll be back. That's true. That's true. Sweet. Another level. Another level. Well, thanks Felix. I love you, man. Thanks. I love you too, man. It's good to see you. We'll, we'll do another episode soon. All right. Thank you to all our listeners. We love you too. And uh, we'll see you on the next, on the next episode. See ya.